my grandma will say things like your mom would have thought this was so cool your mom would have been like in the front row oh. and i go i don't know that i'd be doing this if wow. mom was still here i don't know it's it's so strange to be sad yeah that a parent isn't here to see your mm -hmm. success but also know that a big reason you're successful is this drive to become somebody they would have been proud of Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose, the number one health podcast in the world. Thanks to each and every single one of you that come back every week to listen, learn, and grow. Now, you know that I get to sit down with a lot of exciting, interesting, fascinating people, but sometimes there's someone that I reach out to that I'm just a huge fan of. And actually, it was my dear friend, Adam Grant, who gave me an excuse to reach out to this individual uh, with an opportunity that he had for her, which I even forgot what it was. And he's been an amazing guest on the podcast too. This gave me an excuse to DM her and say, hey, Taylor, would you like to do this thing? Uh, which was my way of sneaking in and saying, hey, can you come on the podcast too? I've been a huge fan of today's guest since her first special, her Instagram, her social media, her TikTok's incredible. Uh, I have sent her videos to my wife, my family, my friends, my trainer this morning. I mean, she's one of those people that as soon as I watch her, I start laughing, I learn something new, and I just feel an incredible sense of joy. And in the few moments that she's walked into my home and into our studio, I love her even more. I'm speaking about the one and only Taylor Tomlinson, who began performing comedy when she was 16 after her father signed her up for a stand-up class. She became a top 10 finalist on the ninth season of NBC's Last Comic Standing in 2015 and was named one of the top 10 comics to watch by Variety at the 2019 Just For Laughs Festival. Her first Netflix stand-up special, which is where I discovered her, Quarter Life Crisis, premiered in March 2020. In 2021, she started her own podcast called Sad in the City, and in the same year, she was placed on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. Now, her second stand-up special, Look At You, is now streaming on Netflix. I want you to go and watch it straight after this. And she will be at the LA Netflix Comedy Festival show at the Ace Theatre on May 6th, 2022. So make sure you grab some tickets. Uh, welcome to the show, Taylor Tomlinson. Taylor, thank you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> I We were just talking about this before we started recording, but I was like what am I doing here? Like, <laughs> truly, I, your podcast is just full of so many interesting, wise people teaching you how to live a better life. And so to come in as a stand-up comedian <laughs> and you're like, I can't wait to learn things from you. I'm like, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I have so much to teach. Uh, I'm, I'm coming into this fully hoping to, I almost brought a notebook to take notes because <laughs> that's how I feel every time I listen to your podcast or watch any of your TikToks. Like I'm still thinking about the video where you talk about checking your phone first thing in the morning, where you're like, you wouldn't just have a hundred people come into your bedroom. And I'm like, oh my God, that's, that's exactly what you're doing every morning. And I'm still terrible at it. And I do it every morning, but every <laughs> time I do it, I think about you telling me not to. <laughs> yeah, well, I genuinely feel that not only do I laugh at everything you put out, I mean, I can name my top three favorite uh, moments in your special easily. I think for me, I also learned from you because I think what you do so phenomenally well, especially when it comes to love and relationships, but also life, is you're able to get inside people's 
minds as to how they think about situations and how they navigate relationships and how they make certain decisions in their life. And so I do think you teach. I'm not expecting you to teach. Uh, I, I want to laugh with you today. I want to get to know you better. This was just an excuse for me to be a fan and for me to hang out with someone that I admire and adore so much. And, and genuinely, from even the few moments we've spent, I'm just so happy meeting you. And I hope this kicks off a wonderful friendship. So that's kind of why I do this whole podcast. Is to, I love that. Is to be able to lure people into being friends with me. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm so excited. I want to start by talking about a lot of your journey, because I think I discovered you, like I said, uh, through your first special. You've been doing this for a lot longer than that. And then I kind of went backwards and I was like, oh, wait a minute, like this, this person's incredible. And it's such a fascinating story. And I am interested in stories because what we were just talking about now, that sometimes when you see someone, second Netflix special, sold out tours, like you look at that person and you go, oh yeah, that, they've, they've always been that way. Mm. And when I look at you, I go, well, wait a minute, your father signed you up for a stand-up class. Mm -hmm. Why did he do that? That sounds like a painful thing for a father to do. I think a woman at our church wanted to do it and she told him about it. And then he brought me along thinking I could write for him, maybe. Like, oh, wow. He was like more of a performer. So uh, I'm very glad he did, you know, for whatever reason. And yeah, it is a very strange thing because I didn't, I didn't get into this super intentionally. Like it, it was something I sort of fell into as a result of just this one woman going, I think I'm going to take the standup class because she was like a retired school teacher and did some public speaking events and wanted to inject some humor into it. So it's funny how something as small as that, like an after service conversation just snowballed into my entire life, my entire career. And you and I were talking earlier about just you being very young as well and you being so successful in, in what you do and how it seems like, you know, maybe you've only been doing this for five years online and you're like, but I've been doing this. There were 17 years before that, that I was teaching and and interviewing and learning and, and I've had all these life experiences. And uh, I think a lot of people look at my career similarly sometimes where they go, well, you, you blew up very quickly or you got all these opportunities very quickly. And I, I think I feel very self-conscious about that sometimes because 28 is very lucky and young to have two Netflix specials. It was not something I ever anticipated uh, achieving at this age. I've just been very fortunate. But then I, I think back to when I actually started and I'm like, oh, I've been doing this for 12 years. <laughs> yes. So okay that's <laughs> it's not like i i just started yesterday yeah. but i think when you are younger than what people expect yes from someone doing what you do there can sometimes be a little bit of like oh well it's just been easy yes. for you you just yes. did it yeah and it, but i also find it it's quite an untraditional journey and it's so funny because we shared that my parents forced me to go to a public speaking class and drama wow. class when i was 11 years old because they thought I was too shy wow. and I didn't have any confidence. And so my parents signed me up to Lambda, which is the London Academy of Music, Drama and Arts. And they said, they forced the school to allow me in because they missed the sign up date or something like that. And they like begged and pleaded with one of the teachers saying, we really need our son to do this because he's shy and he doesn't have confidence. And now I look back and I think, wow, my parents made this amazing decision, just like you yeah. said, that has impacted my whole life. 
And I think I, I, would, I wouldn't have had that opportunity if I didn't do that. So, but even for you, it's, it's an after sermon, after service conversation. Like that sounds very untraditional, at least from my external ignorance. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. It's the thing people ask about the most because it's, it's not an origin story. I think many stand-up comedians have. And if they do have it, they are generally still in the church yes. world because there is a there is a comedy church circuit. That's amazing. That I love hearing work. that. That's I mean, so yeah, awesome. it's it's a different it's a different path that I did <laughs> not choose to go down. Um but yeah, I mean it's there are so many different ways to do stand up professionally. Mm -hmm. Like I think that's what we forget. Like I also had a year in my early twenties where I did like eight cruise ship weeks. Wow. Which is a whole other thing. And there are comedians who only do that. Like I feel like I've been very fortunate in my career that I have experienced kind of a lot of different mm -hmm. pockets of this industry that is more than just getting the Netflix special, getting the HBO special. I've done corporates and I've done colleges. That's how I went full time initially when I was 21 or 20 is I was doing all these college gigs. That's why I dropped out of college to go perform at colleges, which is sort of funny. And cruise ships and <laughs> churches. Is, yeah. yeah, I mean, I've I've kind of done everything you could do and then also all the bars and, and strange shows you do in backyards and whatnot. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it, there's a lot of different places to exist and and do what you love to do. Yeah. It's not just this one path that you see on TV or yes. in movies or documentaries. So I think that's important for people to know as well who want to do something creative, whatever that may be, that it can look like a lot of different things. Yeah, definitely. And I think obviously, you know, on this podcast that we try and get into the psychology and mindset and the way people make shifts. And what I find fascinating about stand-up comedy and what you do is that it really requires you to overcome some base fears. Mm. Like the fears of what will people think? How will I look? How will I be received? These are huge fears. And personally, I think stand-up comics face one of the hardest things because it's like you're introducing, this person is going to make you laugh and mm -hmm. this person is funny. And then it's like, it's the expectation is so much higher. Talk to me about that first time or maybe something you learned in that stand-up class that started to be, that you started to be okay with that fear and dealing with that, or did you never feel that fear at all? Oh, I was terrified. I mean, do you feel like you were shy? Yeah, as a kid? Like, definitely, very massively. Shy? How long did it take for you to sort of feel like you weren't, or do you still feel on a base <laughs> level you're shy and you've just figured out how to not act that way? Yeah, I, I find that, so from 11 to 18, I went to, public speaking and drama school. And those years gave me the skills, but I didn't have anything I was passionate to talk about until mm. I lived as a monk and wow. until I understood yeah. the wisdom of the Vedas that I studied and now I share. So to me, it was almost like you have a toolkit, but I never used it because I still didn't feel confident. I actually got confidence because of what I was sharing. I have so much more faith and confidence in the ideas I share than I do even in myself. And I think that's what gives me so much excitement and enthusiasm. But having said that now, I would say that even today, I feel really confident when I'm one-on-one -on -one with someone and when we both know what role we play. But if I turn up to a random event that isn't my event, that is someone else's event, 
I will just try and find one person that I can have a really deep, intimate conversation with, as opposed to go up to everyone and introduce myself and make sure that everyone knows I came to the, I'm not like that because I feel more comfortable getting to know someone deeply. So I would still consider myself, if it's my event, I'm not shy because I know what role I play there and I'm doing something, but I would say I'm shy when I'm at an event where I don't have a role. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so yeah. I think that I think that is on a base level. I'm an introvert and I'm yes, shy. Yes. I feel the exact same way. And I felt like that for years. And I still feel that way. I have, I think, a lot of social anxiety. Um, I think that when I started doing stand-up, I, I always liked performing. But I once I found stand-up, I was like, oh, this is where I feel the best is on stage doing this thing. This is where I feel like myself. And actually when I first started doing standup, I felt like the version of myself that I was on stage was who I wanted to be in life all the time, but I couldn't because I was too shy and I didn't have the confidence. And then at a certain point, it, it became more true to who I was out in the world. And, and now, I'm I'm at this weird place where I'm like, is that even me? Is that the <laughs> most, is that the purest version of me? Is that the most sort of polished version of me? Like, it's very strange to be in this business and see so many videos of yourself and so many photos of yourself. And it can feel very like dysmorphic where you're like, who, who am, is that? Yeah. Who yeah. is that? Yeah, That's wow. not me. Especially wow. when you're, you are achieving these goals you've always had. Like, you know, when I got on Conan or something, like I was like, I'm in the thing I've been watching for years since I was wow. a kid. And you're, it's sort of this strange out of body experience, but I was, I was terrified of performing when I first started doing stand up. I mean, I felt sick, like physically sick for days before I went on stage. How did you push through that? Like, how did you get through that? I just loved it so much that I, I, I just wanted to do it more than I was scared to do it. Yeah. Um, which is sort of how you have to be if you are somebody who's not naturally extroverted or, or what have you. And I think really what helped is once I graduated high school and, and was doing stand-up consistently in San Diego, once you're doing multiple spots a night, it takes less pressure off of right. it. And you don't have as much time to be nervous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Because I'm sure you feel the same way where you're like, I do a podcast every other day. Like, I'm not going to get nervous to meet somebody new again. It's a muscle. It's yes. really just a muscle. Yeah. And if I don't go on stage for a few weeks, which doesn't really happen, like when we had lockdown and I didn't go on stage for five, six months, the first time back on stage, even for a Zoom audience, was terrifying. Yes, yes, Like yes. it'll come rushing right back. It's not like I'm like, oh, I'll just go on stage. And I get nervous to do spots in town. I get nervous to try new stuff. I mean, I'm so lucky to be on this tour where people have paid money to see me specifically because yeah. for years it wasn't like that for years it was people got free tickets or mm. they got barked into a club in a mall and they were like yeah we'll go see comedy and maybe it's not what i want but we'll check it out we'll give it a chance <laughs> obviously all of that makes it a little easier to go out on stage and know you have that that grace period yes at the very least but i think just the consistency and knowing that 
you can do the job that's where you get the confidence and like you said you have more confidence in what you're saying when i was first starting out i was a teenager i didn't yeah. feel like i could talk about anything yeah, with any sort of yeah wisdom or experience, wisdom experience. Yeah. yeah i i and then i started talking about the fact that i had no wisdom or experience <laughs> and that's what quarter life crisis is yes because i was like what am i going to talk about how about the fact that i don't know anything yeah and so many people came up to me after shows going, oh my gosh, this is exactly how I feel. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. I I hate being this age. It's so confusing. Because I had always just assumed everyone's having a great time in yeah, their 20s. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's killing it. And I didn't have a traditional college experience because I dropped out to do stand-up. So I, I, I didn't feel like I was doing my youth correctly. Yeah. And so to start talking about that on stage, thinking it was like a new angle. <laughs> And then to have everyone go, oh, we feel the exact same way. <laughs> Even like people who looked like they were killing it yeah, in that yeah, area. Yeah. Or I'm like, you look like you go out on the weekends and everything's awesome for you. Yeah. Uh, was really validating for me. And the same with the new special, Look at You. I mean, so much of it is about my own struggles with mental health and uh, finding out that I was bipolar and, and all these different things and losing my mom at a young age. And getting the feedback from people that they relate to it or they've yeah. dealt with similar things if not the same things yeah. in a selfish way it makes you feel better about it and it makes you feel more confident in talking about your own experiences because you know with the internet you can find your audience now yeah. maybe not everybody relates to what you're talking about or wants to hear you talk about something but the people who do really appreciate it and really do connect with it and so that's that's how I try to write now is I just try to write about things that I want to talk about or I want to hear about and and find other people to relate to me about. Yeah, I love that your special was called Quarter Life Crisis because even in the work I do, I find that that is such a key pillar of a lot of the people I connect with. So they're coming to you to to laugh and understand and feel heard and and resonated. And a lot of people will say to me, well, Jay, I'm stuck with where I am or I don't like my career. What was that transition like of saying, I'm okay with not going down the right, correct path of staying at college, completing, but I'm actually going to go and do off do something that I enjoy and love. Like, what was that transition like for you? Was it one welcomed by yourself and the people around you with excitement and joy or was it surrounded with worry and anxiety and and a sense of oh this is going to be tough or i'm actually scared about this i think when i left college i had booked enough work right that like i would have never just quit college right. to see you know like i had <laughs> enough work booked i i physically couldn't go to college anymore mm. um because at the time the school i was at didn't have enough like online options so i just i just couldn't mm -hmm. and i had already taken a semester off to audition for all these colleges there's something called naca where you essentially audition for a bunch of college bookers and so i had booked like 50 colleges in the winter and spring and I was like, oh, I'm going to be gone for like three weeks at a time mm. performing at these schools, mostly on the East Coast. So I can't. And I think I just told myself, well, you can go back. You can go back. Yeah. And I told myself that for years. I told myself that <laughs> until I got the first Netflix special. Yeah. Once I got the first Netflix special, I was like, I think I don't have to go back to school and then the pandemic hit and I was like, maybe I do. <laughs> so I really wasn't like 
all in. Like I was like, I held on to that because yeah. I was, I was a good student. I really thought that I was going to college. I was going to finish. Like a lot of it was tied up in like being a, a good kid, I suppose. So it, that wasn't something that I made a hard decision on. It was something yeah. that I sort of over time accepted. Yeah as long as everything was going well in my career. Um, what was harder, honestly, was just moving away from being a clean comedian and and that transition from, I never performed in churches exclusively and I didn't want to perform in churches exclusively or even mostly, but to move away from being somebody that could and yeah. was this like squeaky clean uh act that you know your family isn't embarrassed to watch or anything <laughs> uh was was really difficult and that took a couple years as well because there's a lot of internalized shame that comes with yeah. that and um feeling like you're not good enough for the world you grew up in but then also being too uh feeling too like inexperienced for yeah. this like rock and roll stand-up <laughs> world yeah. uh because it's you know i don't drink and i don't really i didn't really do any drugs like i just wasn't fun so i was like <laughs> so you're not gonna be clean and respectable but you're also not gonna party yeah, like yeah. which is again a, a huge part of quarter life is i was like i what am i doing yeah, yeah. what am i doing because i'm i'm boring enough to be someone who should be like married right now but i'm not like yeah. where's my person like you know it's just it's it's a strange time in your life yeah and i've had friends tell me that somewhat harshly where they were like hey i know you're complaining about whatever relationship not working out romantically yeah. but your career is going really well and you are in your 20s and yeah. people have this idea like everything's supposed to line up by whatever age they choose as the end the yeah. end goal and i was certainly guilty of that and i've had friends very uh very bluntly say like hey maybe just be happy with one area of your life going great yeah and trust that the other areas are going to catch up yeah or focus on the other areas instead of this one that you've been pouring all of your energy into that is probably the most real answer i've heard to that question i really appreciate it because and, and that is such great advice, even though you didn't know you were giving advice. Because when you started to talk about how when you made that shift, you always knew you could go back. Mm -hmm. And that the next stage was developed instead of just throwing yourself into it. And I think those are such healthy concepts. I mean, I, I even say to my point, at this, even at this stage of my life, I'll sometimes be like, I can always go back to the corporate world if I need to, yes. to pay the bills. Like just because, and, and it's not, I'm, I'm actually not joking about that at all. I genuinely say that because it gives me the freedom to not live in a what if world of, well, what if this doesn't work? And what if this, it, it allows me to let go of that and say, I would have an amazing life because I'm so fortunate to have had a great education that, that would have got me a particular job and a job that I had. Or for you to say, hey, you know what? Even beyond all this, I could go back to college and study again. And I had a friend recently and I'm encouraging a lot of my friends who are in that quarter life crisis where they're stuck in jobs they don't love mm. or they worked really hard for a career, but it isn't what they wanted to do truly in their heart. Mm. They did it out of society pressure, family pressure, whatever it may have been. And a lot of them are now making pivots. So one of them's at film school in LA. Uh, one of them went on to actually 
become a stress coach for his own industry of law. And, and they're making these pivots at like potentially some of them between 25 to 30, some of them 30 to 35. And it's fascinating seeing their journeys because it's exactly like what you're saying. They're like, oh, but I can go back if I need to. And going backwards isn't as taboo as we make it out to be. Like we make it seem like if you're not moving forwards, your life's falling apart. It's like, well, no, sometimes you have to go backwards to, to re-navigate and reconfigure. And so I, I love that answer. And, and even more so what I really appreciated about what you said towards the end there is the idea that when you're feeling accelerated progress in one area of your life, we've also been somewhat trained to believe that everything should move at the same time mm -hmm. and that your relationship and your career and this. And, and I, it's shocking to me how much we have in common despite being very different people. So when you talked about switching and I wanna talk about that more, for me, when I left being a monk, and which I lived as for three years as a fully ordained monk, most of it in India, and living a very different life to the life I live today. When I first left, I had so much shame and guilt mm -hmm. about how I wanted to share what I'd learned because I wanted to share it in a non-sectarian and a universal way. And I wanted to share it with anyone and everyone without anyone feeling any pressure that they had to have a spiritual or religious belief to connect with my work. And, and that came with certain levels of, of criticism or or judgment yeah. too, because it's like, well, wait a minute, you are a fully ordained monk who has studied these 5,000 year old literatures and scriptures and texts, but wait a minute, you're not sharing those. Yeah. Like, like, how does that fit? And I know it's different, but there's, there's that similarity. I wonder how did, you, how did you get over that shame and guilt? Because I feel like that can be so restricting. And I even know people in my own community who would, who would feel restricted by that judgment. How, we, how did you receive that? And how did you have the confidence again to break through that and say, well, this is still something I really want to do despite all of this? Yeah, I mean, that is so interesting that you drew that comparison. Because yeah, TikTok is about as far away from being a monk as you can get. I feel Literally. Like. It's so interesting to me that, I mean, what a perfect example you are of, of a huge pivot, but still it's all connected and it's all leading to the next thing. Uh, <laughs> anyway, to your question, I, how did I get past all of that? I have a lot of therapy, I suppose. Wow. I mean, when we were talking about, you can always go back to what you were doing before. I think what you said was so great. I mean, yeah, I do think people see it as giving up, mm -hmm. but actually it's, it's really confidence. Yes. It's you saying I'm confident enough that if this doesn't work out, I'll make it work. Yes. And if that means doing what I was doing before, that's fine. I have I have a good friend, Delaney Fisher, who I used to do self-helpless with. She said to me when I was, I think, moving in with somebody, she, she had given a few of our friends this advice where she was like, you can always move out. Like mm -hmm. you can always, it's okay if things don't work out. And I think we we totally forget about that. As far as moving past no shame of it. I will say there is no like I can always go back to the church market like that was not yeah. something I ever felt yeah. um, because that's a decision you make. And I felt very good about that decision. But that is a small pool of comedians who can do that. And it is in some ways easier 
to achieve a certain level of financial success in that area. There's a ceiling on it because, you know, it's a, it's a certain community, but I just knew that I wanted to talk about more difficult subjects and yeah, I wanted to do (laughs) jokes about sex. Like I wanted to talk about whatever I wanted to talk about and the the expectations are so rigid mm. in in church comedy in in any sort of yeah. church situation because they just want you to be what they expect you to be all the time it's mm. not enough to just come in and be a clean comedian for an hour mm. they want you to be a christian all the time they want you to be a role model and a perfect public figure and i would open for people and they would get emails from someone going well i saw her do a set somewhere and she said damn Mm. and i was like i cannot stay here this is not sustainable even if i try to be perfect i'm gonna slip up yeah and i don't want to feel like this the rest of my life and i wasn't sure that i believed in Christianity. I just didn't, I had felt that way since I was a kid. My mom passed away when I was eight. And as soon as she did, something kind of shifted in me where I realized nobody knew for sure. Mm. Uh, My family's very religious and a lot of people I grew up around, and I love my family. I have very open-minded extended family, but a lot of people I grew up around act as if they know for sure Mm -hmm. what happens what the answers are as Mm -hmm. far as religion goes and i just realized like oh nobody really knows and while i feel very open to the possibility of something else Mm -hmm. something greater i i know that even if i devote my entire life to it i will never figure out exactly what it is for sure and so that always rubbed me the wrong way and i didn't like the way that it can be used to judge and manipulate people Mm -hmm. and i just i just wasn't what they wanted and i started to feel like i was lying to anybody who hired me in that space so at a certain point i i got taken off of a show for something i tweeted Tweeted, that had like innuendo in it and i just told my manager i was like if we get any offers for churches i can't do it and then they sent me a few more like it's this much money do you want to do it and i was like i can't it's it's all or nothing yeah. with them. And that's fine. They can they can make those those demands for whoever they want. Those people exist. Those mm-hmm. people absolutely exist. Um, my friend Dustin Nickerson, who goes on the road with me, is very clean and can perform literally anywhere. And that's who should be doing you know, certain gigs that I'm not right for. I mean, yeah. you don't you don't have to be right for for every single thing and yes, yes it's okay if you're not right um for for a certain role yeah definitely I, I i think that's great advice and it gives you such a again freedom to recognize there is an audience for what you want to do mm-hmm. it does exist it may be smaller it may be larger it may be different it may be here but but there is one uh, you touched on there and you mentioned it earlier obviously like losing your mother at eight years old and i you know, I can't begin to imagine or understand what that feels like as an experience. You said that that was one of the things that opened up. Was What else was there that that opened up for you? It sounds like you've spent a long time with therapy and reflection and 
been on a journey with that, what would you feel comfortable sharing with us that that opened up for you? Oh, I mean, I talk about it a lot in the new special. Yes. It's it is such a it's it's the most important thing that happened to me. Yeah. You know, not the best thing that ever happened to me, but it's if anything, it's the worst thing that ever happened to me. And it's it's hard to I don't know who I would have been if that didn't happen. Like, I, I, I don't think I would have been the same person. I mean, I have, I had a conversation with my therapist the other day where I was like, it's so funny because my aunt or my, my grandma will say things like, your mom would have thought this was so cool. Your mom would have been like in the front row. Oh. And I go, I don't know that I'd be doing this if wow. mom was still here. Like, would I have... I certainly wouldn't have lived where I lived because my dad got remarried and that's mm -hmm. why we lived there. And that's why I took that class is because we were in that area wow. where that woman suggested it. So who knows, maybe I would have found it, but also maybe I would have written children's books, which is what <laughs> I wanted to do when wow. I was younger. So I, I, I don't know. It's, it's so strange to be sad yeah. that a parent isn't here to see mm -hmm. your success but also know that a big reason you're successful is this drive to become somebody they would have been proud of. Or like, it's weird. I'm like chasing the approval of a ghost in a way. Mm -hmm. But then when you achieve those things, you're there's, there's a sadness to all of it. Cause yeah. you go, Oh, well, this is, this doesn't really fill that, that hole, I guess. Uh, but I do think it, it certainly, it it made a lot of things much more difficult and I'm sure it made me shyer and I'm sure it made me very, made me very, very anxious and it burst that bubble. A lot of kids have maybe not kids now cause they live through a pandemic, but mm. a lot of kids have where you think you're invincible and nothing yeah. bad's going to happen to you. Um, and when something like that happens to you really young, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. So I, I, at any moment, the piano could fall in my head mm. um, or someone else's head that I love. Yeah. So that's sort of when I like started having really bad nightmares, which I still have. And it, uh, it, it definitely affected me in so many ways. But the positive ways it affected me is I think it made me, I think it made me more empathetic. Mm. I think it made me a hard worker. I think when something tragic happens to you as a child, you sort of retreat into your imagination because you have to, which I'm sure made me more creative because living in my head was better than living out in the world where my mom was dead. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think as I've gotten older, I've learned to find the positive aspects of that loss that exist alongside the really difficult mm -hmm. things about it. Thank you so much for sharing that, by the way. Oh, like, yeah. I, you know, I find it so, it's so incredible to hear just the journey you've been on and, and from that experience and just, and it's, and to me, it's not about, you know, the positive or the negative or, or how it feels. It's just interesting to hear you think about it openly. And, and I can hear just, how much how much work that's taken and and what that process looks like and i really appreciate you sharing that with us like genuinely it's it's so inspiring and it's hope giving and i know that you know there'll be countless people who are listening right now who 
who just feel so connected to that. So thank you so much for for going there and, and sharing that. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah. The word. Yeah. I think when I was growing up, it was so hard to tell other people. But again, it feels like such an important thing to know yeah. about you. But I'm. It made other people uncomfortable who yeah. hadn't experienced death or loss. So then you're like, do I just tell them my parents are separated? Do I just kind of skirt around the issue? And I, it, it took years of like almost yeah. like rehearsing with yeah, new people yeah. how to how to give them That's that information in a yeah. in a palatable way. Yeah, exactly. No, it's such an important part of the story. To, mm -hmm. to understand someone and, yeah. and to be able to receive them and connect with them properly. Uh, no, I'm, I'm so grateful you spoke about it. And I want to I wanna go in another totally very different direction now, but only because you said something earlier, I'm trying to bring it back. So we're talking about love and relationships and, and even that relationship with your mother and with your parents is so important in how it impacts your relationships moving forward. Uh, one of your favorite clips that I love is where you talk about, um, I believe it's the boyfriend who cheated on you in your head. Mm -hmm. And that clip to me, I've, I've sent that clip to more people than I could possibly imagine. <laughs> and I have a funny story to tell that I don't think I've ever shared publicly, but I have to share it with you. So I've had a very clear value around cheating my whole life. Mm -hmm. That if someone was to cheat on me, or if I was to cheat on someone, I don't think I'm personally, it's not that I don't believe I'm capable. I don't feel enthusiastic about trying to continue on that path mm. because to me, it's such a big core value of who I am. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't project that onto anyone. I wouldn't judge anyone for staying with someone or breaking up. It's everyone's personal choice. Right. That's, that's where my personal choice stands. And my wife knows that and we've had this conversation. We've been together now nearly 10 years and married for six. And so we've, we've known this for a long time. And so me and my wife do this thing, well, we used to do it before the pandemic. We haven't done it since, but we used to do this thing with every 30 days, we would drive somewhere three hours from where we live and stay somewhere like an Airbnb or wherever we can for three days. We'd lock our phones in a safe and we'd just spend time together because we found that every week we got so busy and I have a crazy schedule and so does she. And so like on a weeknight, it's like, you're not really getting that deep intimate connection and then the weekend comes and maybe you see friends and maybe you see family or whatever and time just flies and then all of a sudden you've been married for 10 years or longer and you're like well do I even know this person that well and I saw that in the people I coached I saw that in the people I worked with and I was like okay well what's a habit or what's a, I love coming up with like these and I love numbers and so it's like 30 days three hours three days and so we're on this one of these journeys and we're driving off three hours and we're listening to music and this may surprise people, but we're listening to Future, the rapper, right? It's so me and my wife are sitting, listening to music. We listen to Future, the rapper, for whatever reason. I have no idea. Uh, I do not know him. I've never met him. We're listening to Future on the way. We get to the hotel uh, that we're staying at and then we maybe watched a movie and went to bed and I, I wake up in the morning and I've had this dream that my wife is having Future's baby. <laughs> and she's in the shower. I can hear her that she's in the shower in the hotel room. And I wake up and it feels real. So I wake up and there's no part of me that is cognizant that that was a dream. I am fully in the reality that my wife, Radhi, <laughs> this, this you know beautiful, abundant human being has had an affair with Future of all people. <laughs> and now she's pregnant with Future's baby. And I woke up with like this 
brick on my heart. Like that's how it felt. Like it genuinely felt like there was this massive brick on my heart and mm -hmm. it was weighing me down. And in my head I said, I'm gonna take care of that baby like it's mine. Like oh. I was just like, I just have to like, I was just like, I love my wife so much. Like I love her. So, and it was so weird because I have this value. Yeah. And then when you think that this thing's happened, all of a sudden that, not that value has gone out the window, but that you, my, my love and my connection and attachment to my wife was stronger. And she, she was, the hotel room had one of those, like, you know, those window doors that open into the, from the shower bathroom into like the, the bedroom area. Yeah. So she opened, she looked at me, she was like, are you okay? I was like, oh, I just had a dream that you were having Future's baby. And she just burst out laughing at me. Like she was just cracking up. And I've never told that story anywhere else apart from now, uh, apart from to friends and stuff. But it's, it's fascinating to me how interesting it is that we can have these views on love. We can have these perceptions of love. And then when you get into a relationship, how these perceptions can change, uh, how other people's music, thoughts, ideas infiltrate our mind uh, and, and, and dreams and messages and all of that. I wonder for you, what have been some of the, would you say, misconceptions on love that you think you had growing up that have been broken down or that through your comedy that you've learned or maybe you've heard an amazing story from a fan at, at an event that has sparked some thoughts. But I'm always fascinated by things that we believe to be true about love. Mm. But as we grow older, we go, oh, they're not, they're not the truth. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, it's so funny you say that. I have a friend who's been in a relationship for, I believe, seven years now and is like my oldest friend. And I had I had asked her a similar question. I, I don't remember when, but I had asked her, you know, what would you do if your partner cheated on you? And she was like, honestly, at this point, I love him so much. I trust him so much. I would probably go to therapy and figure out why it happened yeah and i was like oh but you wouldn't just leave and she was like no she's like not at this point like we've just been through so much together i would there she's like i know him so well if he did that i would know there was a reason yes and we would need to figure out that reason that's beautiful oh my gosh and yeah. i was like oh okay so we're all mature <laughs> now <laughs> like i think i thought well my friends in this relationship that relationship they don't fight yeah. or this would never yes, happen yes. in so-and-so's relationship. And then as I've gotten older and I've dated more people, I've, I've spoken to friends of mine and said like, well, this happened. And they go, Oh, we, we dealt with that. Yeah. Like we had the same thing or my partner did something like that, or I did something like that. Yeah. And it took a while for us to unlearn it and get through it. And that's, I think the hardest thing about dating in your 20s and and honestly into your 30s now as people are getting married later it it's so hard to know what is like a deal breaker yes and what is something that you can work through mm -hmm. and it i think the thing i've learned from friends of mine and and truly talking to audience members because i do ask yeah. people who have been married a long time for advice and most of the time they're like we don't have any move yeah. on <laughs> uh we just didn't leave we yeah. nailed it but so many people, it just seems like find somebody that they love so much. They're like, well, I'm going to make it work with you. Yes. And yes. whatever things I had in my brain of if this happens, I'm gone. If this happens, I'll never get over it. Once you find somebody that you love and respect so much and you've been through enough with them, if you trust somebody and I feel this way with friends of mine. I should say that because I, I don't have that marriage 
or partnership that I can point to in my own life. But I have several friends who I've had for a very long time who are there for me so consistently that when they hurt me or disappoint me, it is over very quickly Mm -hmm. because I'm like your family and you have been there for me so many times. Mm -hmm. Hurting me once is not going to phase me. Mm -hmm. Whereas if somebody that I didn't trust as much or hadn't been there for me for as long or as deeply did the exact same thing, we would not have a relationship anymore. We would be acquaintances now. So it is so dependent on the relationship you have with the other person. Yeah, 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 definitely. And that's what I mean that for me, it just, you know, it, ultimately it's knowing your value, but then having compassion for other people's values. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's so easy to project your own ideas of what someone should do and how they should react and yeah, what's a good boundary for themselves. And then almost going, well, wait a minute, like, just got to have compassion and empathy for that person's decision and their relationship with that person. Yeah. When you look for, I'm interested by, by dating and relationships a lot myself because it's, it's a part of my work. It's part of my coaching. As you know, it's part of what I think about what, what have been the, the funniest, most interesting date situations you've been in or ones that have given you hope or ones that have broken your hope or anything that you feel to share. Well, it's so funny you bring up that joke from Quarter yeah. Life because yes, I love that. Like, it's so funny because in the new special, I I have a joke about an ex cheating on me, and it's that that guy that I talk about where I go, well, he never cheated on. I say I do that joke where yeah. I say he cheated on me in my head. And I go, no, he never cheated on me, but he did this thing. That guy did cheat on me, and oh. he told me after I filmed that special. No. Yes, he finally told me, and it was like obviously years later. But like he and I had dated on and off for years and he had sworn up and down that he never cheated on me and really made me feel crazy. And to his credit, apologized very late, but really (laughs) like sent me this long apology where I was like, I was gaslighting you. Like, oh, really a beautiful. I almost (laughs) made it my iPhone background. That's all you want is just, I was wrong and I gaslighted you. And we're like, you, yes. Yeah, send it out as a template yeah. for everyone to use. But also really messed with my head because I'd been in therapy going, I, you know, I oh, always man. was so suspicious of this guy and he never did anything and I just created it in my head. Oh, so for no. them later, for him oh. later to be like, no, I was and you were right and I'm sorry. It, I just pay for my therapy bill for the last I know, 12 months. Right? Yeah. But also I got so many jokes out of that relationship. I really can't, I really can't be mad. It's I paying have, the bills. Yeah. It really is paying yeah. the bills. I have no regrets. But after he, you know, what's funny in terms of like, I thought that if somebody cheated on me, I would hate them and never speak to yeah, them again. Yeah, yeah. And especially in that way, which is pretty messed up. Um, but there's obviously more to the story circumstantially that contextualized it for me. Um, But if you had just told me 10 years ago, like this is what's going to happen with this person, I would have been like, well, I'm going to hate them forever. And once he told me that that's what happened and I, I did know him so well Mm -hmm. and I knew what he was going through and what he was dealing with. um, I think it actually improved not our relationship because we don't really have a relationship, but improved our feelings about each other Yeah, in a, in a, you know, just a, just an existing in the world as memories to one another. Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't angry at him anymore 
because I finally knew for sure. And it does take a lot to admit to somebody that yeah, you did huge. that. Yeah, and and you can judge however long it took or the way in which it was said or, yeah. or whatever you want. But at the end of the day, I was like, you know what? This is somebody who was really important to me and really encouraged me in my career and, and really yes hurt me in some pretty deep ways but also made me better yeah and i i felt like i was able to sort of put that chapter of my life to bed and really care about him as a human being um and i had just lived longer and i had made my own mistakes and yeah. other relationships and obviously i made my own really my own mistakes in that relationship with him um that were not okay so i think time age it, compassion and empathy comes with all of that do you know i had this really strange vision while you were saying all this deep profound stuff i was like how amazing would it be to see you making this joke next to this clip of you talking right I now know. and i'm just like literally i'm like taylor like you're this mature amazing individual and then when i see you yeah. on stage you're like this you know you're like picking fights with everyone I know, like, and i love it I and i love that and i love that I love that paradox too. Like, I, I love that you're able to speak so lightly of so many of these things. And of course, you know, make, make so many millions of people laugh. But at the same time, when I'm getting to know you today, it's, it's fascinating to hear just how much thought and maturity and work and, and reflection, because what you just said is, is so massively uh, evolved. I mean, look, I wouldn't and have raised Future's baby, but <laughs> I'm like, you're okay over there. <laughs> <laughs> literally that was like the only thing i said oh my god like i literally felt that like it was yeah. i felt it in my gut because yeah because i was like, that's my wife's baby i love her so much like it was just yeah it was just one of those moments but i'm glad it's not true of course yeah did you see the video on tiktok that went viral about that girl being walked down the aisle by her stepdad no it was the exact same thing she was like my mom had an affair and got pregnant with me and my stepdad raised me and he is my dad. Oh, wow. And oh, this yeah. is him yeah, walking me down the yeah, aisle. Yeah. yeah. I know what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's just, yeah. And, and that's the kind of, that's the real life version, right? Mm -hmm. You can have all these ideas and thoughts in your head and make all these commitments to yourself and then it happens and then yeah, yeah you, you change. No, I love that. I, I think if, if, if Taylor Thompson had any dating relationship, advice, mistakes, thoughts what would they be right now oh my advice is to not listen to stand-up comedians <laughs> for relationship advice uh my advice is to listen to your podcast uh and follow whatever you and your wife are doing um i don't know i'm currently in this place in my life where i'm sort of coming to and i'd like to talk about this on stage in the mm. the new hour i'm i'm working on is um i have I have been in sort of like back-to-back -back relationships um, throughout my mm -hmm. entire adult life in a way that I don't think is particularly healthy. Mm. Uh, and I have had friends, I have a new joke in the hour about, mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of my friends were like, you should maybe be single for a bit and <laughs> maybe get a cat or something. And I was like, hard pass. Yeah. Cats don't make me feel good about myself. <laughs> but I am... I am reaching a point now where I'm like, okay, we've put off doing this work yeah. on being alone yeah. for a long time. Yeah. 
and I think you need to do it now. Yeah. And it is so difficult because I I'm I'm not I'm not a casual person. I'm much yeah. like you where if I'm at an event I want to talk to one person. Uh so I'm not like that in any of my relationships, friendships or otherwise. Yeah. So I'm generally in a relationship if I'm dating. I'm, I'm not like a casual dater. I don't have that in me. But as a result, I'm always getting into these, you know, <laughs> year to two year things. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm, I've also just been so focused on my career. So anytime mm -hmm. something wasn't working out mm -hmm. or, or, I was having problems with somebody, I was like, well, I can always focus on my career mm -hmm. and that's fine and focus on the next relationship and and now i've reached this level that i truly always dreamed of like yeah. doing a theater tour and having specials on netflix like that is all i have ever wanted and if nothing else happened from here on out that is this is more than i could have ever dreamed of mm -hmm. And so now I'm like, maybe it's time to get some hobbies. <laughs> maybe it's time. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's time to work on who you are as a person. <laughs> like you're very good at comedy. Maybe get good at, I don't know, forgiveness. <laughs> like maybe just work on that. So yeah, I think, I love that. you know, what's that quote that people say? Like you have to be somebody that you would want to be with forever. Yeah. Like I do think that I have had moments of that yeah. over the years, but I'd like to really... I'd like to really focus on that. And I, I I, don't agree with the statement a lot of people make, which is you have to be totally okay by yourself before you get into a relationship. I know so many people yeah. who got into a relationship yeah. three days after they ended one yeah. and they've been together for 10 years. I yeah. know so many people who got into a relationship when they were really not in a good place, financially, spiritually, whatever. And now they've been together for 20 years. I think it is so case by case, but I do think that if you can show up for yourself and take yeah. care of yourself, you are going to show up for and take care of someone else yes. much better and not put so much on them to take care of you. And I, I would like to, I think before I get into a relationship again, which I don't know when I'm going to be comfortable doing that, I would like to feel like I am someone who brings a lot to the table. Mm -hmm. I love that. Not just in a purely superficial way of like, yeah. look how much I've achieved. Yes, like yes, yes. my career's going well, which for a long time, I think on some unconscious level, I thought that if I achieved all of my career goals, yeah. I would be proving to someone whoever it was yeah. that i was like worth loving like i was worth being yes, with yeah and then you achieve all those things and you reach that place and you're like oh this didn't this didn't do it yeah that's not what it's about so i uh i i'm really trying to focus on that right now i'm yeah. trying to focus on who i am as opposed to what i've done mm-hmm because that has not been my approach the last 10 years <laughs> to my life. And and to go back to my mom dying young, I mean, I talk about that in the special as well, is like I had this irrational belief that I was going to die at 34 because that's wow. when she died. Wow. 
And it's very common. A lot of people have it when they lose their parents, even if their parents are, you know, yeah. 55 when they, yeah. when they pass, they get nervous coming up to that age. And then if you, that's real. I've yeah. heard if you get to that age and you surpass it, you, you actually feel sort of guilty. You have like survivor's guilt. Wow. So I have that to look forward to. But I think that was not just affecting my career goals. It was affecting my personal goals as well, where I thought, I only have this amount of time, not even from a fertility standpoint, from just a, this is when I'm going to die, yeah. that I have to rush everything and I have to um, become yeah. this ideal person. And uh, that's not how you become your mm -hmm. highest self, as it turns out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean... You know, when you said that, I'm like listening to you today going, I think, I think Taylor, you, you really do know who you are. And there's, there's so much, you know, there has been so much investment in that part of yourself. Yes, there's been, of course, amazing acceleration in your career. But from the little time we've spent together today, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing so much self-awareness and, you know, so much great introspection and so much amazing energy around that so oh, thank you i'm, yeah, I'm sorry no, if i'm rambling no you're not like this going, is beautiful. Okay, I, I'm, I'm no 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 you're not rambling at all i mean i'm also reflecting back on what you just said and and it gives me great reassurance in hearing that because something i ask a lot of clients to do in the relationship space is i ask them to write down the amount of days in their adult life or years in their adult life that they've spent single mm. versus they've spent in relationships mm. and when you look at those two numbers next to each other I know people that are 55 who will say that the amount of time they've spent in their adult life, of course, because we all, no one's dating when they're born, right? Well, maybe right. not, right? So <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Um, but the idea that in their adult life, even people who are 55, 60 years, 55 is probably where people that I've spoken to, they would say that they've spent six months alone, max wow. in their whole adult life. Yeah. Alone, as in single, without being in some sort of relationship. And when you hear that, and when I started to think about it, for me, those three years living as a monk uh, of being single, of course, but I look back at those and I think, wow, those were like really important, mm. formative years in my relationship with myself. And I fully agree with you too, that that never stops or is never complete. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, check, did that, now I'm ready for a relationship. I have completed level one of life, but I've started level one of life. Yeah, and, and I think that's, you know, going back to your point that you're not going to fully love yourself and be good alone before you can be in a relationship, but you've started that journey to some degree. And ultimately, all that does is it removes certain obstacles, mm -hmm. right? So someone could definitely go from one relationship to another and they could be together. It's just we would remove certain obstacles if both people had, had done a little bit of self-work. And, and that's all that that's all it is but it's never that yes you come to a relationship as this perfectly complete person that is just a romantic yeah. view of what it looks like and and i saw that with me and my wife like you know when when we met and we fell in love as well and you know falling in love is not a logical uh you know you're not planning it all out and you're not logically going through the steps there's attraction and then there's affection and then all of a sudden there's attachment and you're like okay i i think i love this person and then now I'm like, wow, I think sometimes when I proposed to my wife, I didn't even really know her compared to the person yeah. I know today. I'm like, I didn't know her. And, and I think the problem becomes when we think we know before and then we stop trying to know. Mm. And so you kind of go, yeah, I know who my partner is. We got married. And then it's like, but I've never tried to get to know them again. Mm. 
And for me, it's been the other way around. We're like, yeah, we dated and we were together for four years before we got married. So plenty of time. But I'd say I've learned more in the last six of being married than I ever did in the first four. So the knowing of that person was far more important than the belief that I already knew them. If that right. makes sense. Well, and you're yeah. both changing all the time. I all mean, the time. That's the thing when people are like, well, they're not who I married. It's yeah. like, of course not. Of course not. Yeah. Of course not. You're not who they married. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. you like me talking like I know. <laughs> I'm like, marriage yeah. is like this. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I think that I, I, it's, it's interesting what you said about the time that people spend actually alone as adults. Cause I've, I've, spoken to friends of mine who have gotten out of really long relationships like that's such a that's such a common thing that i've never experienced where you know somebody was with somebody for the bulk of their young adulthood like maybe someone was with someone for eight years in their 20s and then they break up which seems so devastating yeah because i've never been in something that long that ended um or you know people get divorced after however many years and and those friends realizing like oh i didn't I never lived alone. Like yeah, I've never yeah. lived alone and I'm in my thirties now and I'm sort of in a similar place where I'm kind of like surprised how much I'm appreciating it yeah. right now. Yeah. Like I'm really, I'm, I'm really like every night I'm like, Oh, I can just do whatever I want. And I love being yeah. in a relationship. I love being in a relationship. Oh. I love the, the people I've been in relationships with. I love hanging out with someone. I I love having that person to talk to and share with and cuz you really do just become best friends with that person. Yes, yes. But I have spent very little time just with myself mm-hmm. and I I really have spent years like dreading it. Where yeah. I'm like I don't I can't imagine just coming home at night or going back to the hotel after shows cuz that's very lonely and just yeah. like being by myself and not having someone to call, not having someone to watch a movie with. And now I'm like, oh, this is actually kind of peaceful. Like I I was so scared to not have someone else to count on, but I still have me to count on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and, and when we don't have that, that, those are the triggers that come out. I mean, even in marriage, like right now, I won't have seen my wife for the first four months of this year. She's in London working on stuff. I'm in LA. Uh, She can't be in LA right now for the work she's doing. And I can't be in London. And so I'd say in our marriage, we've spent probably before pandemic, we spent completely together, which was wonderful. We loved it. And it was actually great for us. But before that, I would say that we've spent at least three to six months apart a year because of work on and off, not always in one go. This time it's been in one go. And I miss her. I cannot wait for her to come back. Like, I feel like I have to throw her a party when she comes back because I miss her so much. But at the same time, I'm also really happy because she's been able to focus and I've been able to focus. And we've had this moment to like really go all in on our careers again and then to come back again and be together and go all in on that. And it's just, I think it's so healthy because marriage will also demand separation, especially with careers that we have Mm -hmm. where you could be on tour again and you know or and you're in a relationship and so that aspect of coming home alone is such a hell even now like i've i mean we were together every day for two years during the pandemic and now we've been apart for four months Mm -hmm. it took days to get used to the fact that i didn't have someone's head on my chest going to sleep like just that process of like wow like 
even, I was like, well, I need to get a weighted blanket or I need to yeah. like put that brick back on my heart or something like yeah. to feel like that weight. Like, I don't Worst know. future. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it was just not, it, it was it was so strange because of habit, of course, mm-hmm. and, the, and the, the, the habit with that. But you raised something really interesting and, and I've actually not had the fortune yet to go on tour. I, I do a lot of events uh, speaking, but I haven't been able to go on tour because I was meant to when my book came out in 2020 and then I didn't. And but I do remember starkly, and I and I work with a lot of musicians and artists who perform to many many people on stage, and they always told me about that lonely journey home. And I've had very few experiences of it, but when I have, it really did hit me that when you have an audience of people that are fully immersed in everything you're saying and showing you so much love and showing you so much energy, and you dro- you dropped every joke right, and everything fell, and everyone's just in place, and you have this meet and greet, and everyone just showers you with more love and tells you how much they connected, and then you get into that car ride back home alone, it's a really, really strange feeling, right? And you, you brought mm-hmm. it up there, and that's why I remember that. And I remember I got home and my wife had thrown me a party with all our closest friends as a surprise for when I got home and I didn't even know. But it was really fascinating. I remember that drive. I was at the Ace. I performed at the Ace, which was the only show I've ever done, which was my own show. And then when I drove home alone in in just a hired car, it was really interesting to see that settle down and be happy with myself in that moment. Mm -hmm. Walk us through how it's felt for you, because I do think that when we live in a world where you're showered with validation and attention, to then leave it. Well, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. But when, when you're showered with that genuine love from a lot, I, I know that my community, I feel so much genuine love from them. But when you go home, you've got to have that relationship with yourself. Can you just walk us through that a bit? I want to hear about it from your thoughts. Oh, man. I mean, in, in terms of like being on the road and going back to a hotel just room? Just that or? lonely. Gen- I feel like that is such a unique experience mm-hmm. because not everyone performs on stage and not everyone... It's like going home from a party is one thing, but going home from a p- party that was you on stage and everyone, right. it's like, it's just really interesting. And I'm always fascinated about hearing about that lonely journey for artists on the way home. Yeah, there is sort of like a physical, at least for me, I feel like there's a heavy sort of like, yeah. after I get off stage and now on this, you know, this tour, I'm usually doing like a meet and greet afterward. Yeah. And so that's sort of like, a little extension of the show is how it feels because you're you are meeting people face to face and uh taking pictures and sometimes hearing very personal things from them i guess it depends because some days are are very hectic where you're just traveling all day Mm -hmm. and then you have to go on stage and you're kind of like just frantic this this frantic energy all day and so when you hit like 10 p.m and you're back in a car in a hotel room it's so nice to just finally be still and quiet and not have anybody looking at you you're like oh everyone was looking at me for a long time i mean i have really strange moments where i almost feel like i'm like outside of my body on stage where sometimes i'm like i'm everyone there's 1500 people here just sitting yeah quietly yeah looking at me yeah while I talk, like, do you have that ever where you're just, and you're just in sort of, you kind of go into almost like autopilot while you just sort of watch your hands move and gesture to ideas you have. And it's, it's so, I'm so incredibly grateful for it. I can't imagine, I, I couldn't have imagined that. I, I don't know. I'm obviously at a loss for words, but 
it's such a strange feeling to have all of that love and validation coming at you as you said and then just be back to being you yeah because that's a version of you yeah but it's not it's not that it's not you like when people say like well that's not who you really are that's not i'm like no that is who i really am but it's a piece of me so well said yeah yeah it's a it's a mode i go into yes yes so it's not that like well, they like me, but in my, in my darker moments, I've talked about this in therapy. I go, sometimes I feel like people only like me for this like trick I can do. And she goes, but it's not really a trick. It's a skill you have. Yeah. It's a, it's a job you do. And so that makes me feel better. But sometimes I feel so like, you know, cause nobody knows you really. Yeah. Yeah. Like they think they know you, especially like doing a podcast like this, I'm sure your listeners feel like they just know who you are yeah but nobody actually does i mean it's it's a strange lonely space that's hard to explain yeah to people no i I thought that was a good explanation and yeah i think a study i was i was looking into this i was like because i was i i love building new friendships and new connections and deepening relationships and and i really enjoyed that as and even as i get older because I find that a lot of the friends I grew up with, life changes and you move on. And I've moved city twice. I lived in New York. I now live in LA. I lived in India for a time. So my life's been very fragmented. And so I've had to rebuild community and family wherever I've landed. And so I really value that as, a, as something I try and invest in, especially when I think about one day having children and wanting them to have other children to play with and people's homes to go to and things like that. I think there's an issue when you say, this is me or this isn't me. Mm-hmm. So it's like when you say this person on stage or this person who plays on the field or on the court, that's me, that's me, that's all of me. Or the opposite where we go, that's not the real me, this is the real me when I'm on my couch and I'm in sweats and and, and you put it perfectly, you said, no, both are me and that's mm-hmm. just reality. Like if I'm, am I silly and goofy with Radhi, my wife? Yeah, I am. But am I also really thoughtful and intentional and focused in my meditation? Yes, I am. And do I love being on stage? Yes, I do. Uh, Do I love business and strategy and growth? Yes. Do I love being a monk and being really simple and minimalist? Yes. I love all of those things. And yes, they're paradoxes and oxymorons and contradictions. But I've learned as time's gone on, to stop trying to force myself to choose one Mm. and accept all parts of myself. And that has been the most freeing, the most authentic version I can find when I'm not forcing myself to live one truth and accept that I'm just made of a bunch of them. And, And that's okay. Like I don't have to live a certain way or act a certain way to fall because I don't feel happy there. If I was forced to either be one or the other, I think I'd be really sad. And yeah. I consider myself to be quite a, a joyful, content individual. And I would say that's because I've allowed myself to be okay with the paradoxes within me, yeah. uh, if that makes sense. And and even with you, like when I'm listening to you, I'm going, there's, there's a paradox right here where it's like a lot of people talk about how stand-up comedians use you know, use comedy to heal and cope and and deal with things. I think that's been like a long-term myth that kind of gets thrown around probably a bit too much without ever asking people in the industry. Mm-hmm. And and then when I look at you, I'm like, but here's someone who's doing like therapy and work behind the scenes and like thinking about it. And then the comedy is more 
expressed through that learning as well and all of that with that. How do you find that? Because you mentioned earlier, obviously in the new special, you speak about bipolar and you speak about mental health uh, mm. a lot more in your work. You, but you've been doing mental health work. So I'm, so at least, and I don't want to assume anything I'm asking. It sounds like comedy to you is not an outlet or a, a healing tool or a, or a expressive tool. I guess it's more of an expression tool than it is a healing tool. Yeah. Does that know, feel, yeah. Sorry if I'm messing up the question. But. No, 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 not at all. I think what's funny is I think maybe I used to think it was a healing tool. Yeah. Not in that this is where I talk about it, but I think I thought that if I could make fun of something yeah. or turn something into a joke, yeah. then that would be the same as me getting over it. Right. Like that's dealt oh, with right. because it's a joke now. Like yeah. I turned this into my career. This is yeah. turned into something that's going to make me money. Yeah. So now it's not a bad thing that happened to me. It is an experience that I turned into something that other people enjoy. And, you know, that I think in that way, I thought I was yeah. feeling. But in going to therapy consistently and seeing both a therapist and a psychiatrist and and recognizing that just because you know something about mm -hmm. yourself doesn't mean you've dealt with it yeah. completely. Mm -hmm. Like I was so upset when I figured out that knowing something logically <laughs> did not mean that it was yeah. healed. I was like, well, oh, if okay. I just untangle it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be great now. Yeah, yeah. But it's all that stuff about trauma living in your body. And when yeah. it's like you, you're like, but I know what this is. Yes. I know this is a traumatic response mm -hmm. to X, Y, and Z that happened to me. Why am I still feeling the brick on my chest? Yes. Because it's, it's more than just something you intellectualize. It mm. is a physical, emotional, emotional, spiritual thing that you have to work through and spend yeah. a lot of time working through. Yeah. Not just figuring it out and going, awesome, so that's done. Yeah. yeah Check yeah. the box. Yeah. So I think that, especially with this special, I, at first I wasn't going to do any jokes about some of the aspects of my my mental health uh journey in the last couple of years mm. and then i think my brain just works this way where yeah. i just kind of think in jokes so as soon as <laughs> i started thinking of jokes i was like maybe i should try these yeah and i was like i won't do them but i'll yeah. i'll try them and then once i started doing jokes about it i started getting messages from people who were like yeah. oh my gosh i just got diagnosed with this or i've been trying to get on antidepressants or or i've been feeling this way or you really encouraged me to go back to therapy and i was yeah. like okay then maybe yeah. we can just do it but i was really nervous before the special came out i was like did i share too much did i yeah. put too much out there but my therapist was like you're you are doing the work like yeah. it's that's it's, what i'm seeing yeah yeah, yeah. so I think as long as you're doing the work, it's it, it's not going to be fixed by you posting about it on social media mm. or even talking to friends about it like you're yeah. good. Like you are going to have to do that work yeah. privately. So I think I think that's the only way that I've I've been able to talk about it in yeah. in my material. And I wish I was more of like a. I don't know, just generally observational comedian, but I'm not. I <laughs> draw from my own life and I write about stuff I'm going through because again, I'm insecure about talking about things I have no experience with. Yeah. Um, 
so that's just kind of kind yeah. of how I come at it and the sort of the sort of writer I am, I suppose. Well, it comes out great. I love Thank it. <laughs> and I love what you said there. Like like when you said I think in jokes, I get that because you think in jokes, I think in quotes and it, it yes. makes sense. Like whenever I hear something, I'm like, okay, how do I turn that into something really memorable and simple that I will keep in my brain that allows me to use it as a tool later on? Yes. And that's kind of how I think. And then I think, okay, well, how do I find a quote or hear a quote or share a quote with my audience so that they can remember it so that that clarifies an idea for them as well and so it, it makes sense because you're like okay well how do i make it funny so that it's memorable from a from it so that you remember they remember it so that feels very real i get that like mm -hmm. that's how you try and it's almost like that's how you try and capture an idea mm -hmm. so that it sticks and stays and and becomes something that people can share but taylor you've been so generous and kind with your time it's been such a joy getting to know you today honestly it really has oh this uh, was so because... <laughs> nice this is not like most podcasts i try to leave a cushion afterward to sort of recover okay as an introvert okay. where yeah. you're like okay i gotta and this was just like refreshing and, and oh, this like really just felt like hanging out with someone i wanted to hang out with oh thank like, you like i feel like invigorated after oh, this this is so nice oh wow that means the world to me thank yeah. you so much no genuinely like <laughs> As I said, I've been such a huge fan for such a long time. And to get to know you today is just, it's its even better than I thought it was going to be because I feel like, I already had high expectations and that's what I'm saying, that you just blew through them and just who you are as a human and how you think about things and how you're making this. Like, it's just, it's amazing. And I'm so grateful that you, you said yes to coming on the show and, and being here. Uh, we end every On Purpose episode with a final five, which is meant to be a fast five which I always ruin because I get intrigued, but I will try and do it fast with you. So these are five questions that have to be answered in one word to one sentence maximum. Ooh, okay. Uh, and I will ruin it. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's my job to ruin it and you pretend and try and stick to the okay. rules. Okay, so question number one is, what is the best advice you've ever received? You can always change your mind. Nice, that's a, that's a great piece. We've never had that. That's a great piece of advice. Nice, right. I found a new one. Yeah, you did. Yeah, that's, that's a great, I love that. What's the worst piece of advice you've ever received? If you take time off, everyone might forget about you. Wow, that's so good too. That's I love bad. this. We never had I that know. either. That's, that's great. not great. That's yeah. that really. I just remember that because it really tapped into like the workaholic in me. Yeah, that I've always. Yeah, I've not always, but I've really tried to move away from. Yeah. So the idea that somebody would say my worst fear out loud. Yeah, just, definitely. I mean, yeah. when I first came here and I was I was first started coaching here, I had talent tell me that they were told by their first manager that you look, you've got a three year career. Yes. You've got a three year career. You've got to make the most of three years. And after that, you'll be irrelevant. And it's the same thing. Like you just mm -hmm. get, you stop. And I remember even when I, I remember when I got to 1000, when I was first starting out 1000 subscribers on YouTube, which I was really happy about and excited about at the time and, and still am. And uh, I remember my friends going to me. So this is the peak basically. Like this is it. Like there'll never yeah. be more than this. And so you should just make the most of it because that's, and I remember like that, it, it was that fear mindset that mm -hmm. every time I hit a new peak, people around me would say to me, oh, that's the peak then. So, so that's it now. You've done it now. And I was like, wait, only if you think that, like, yeah. you know, so great, great answers so far. All right. Question number three, what's something that you think people value that you don't value? Maybe this sounds sort of dumb, but whether or not people think I'm cool yeah i guess and yeah, that's yeah. probably pretty like entertainment industry specific mm -hmm. but i do think that there's like a lot of like insecurity yeah. in this business and there's a lot of like hoping other people like you and like yeah, think yeah, you're yeah, cool yeah, yeah yeah and 
I don't really care about that anymore. Yeah. Like I really just want to be happy yeah. and find my people and focus on those relationships. And everyone else is kind of like, feel however you want to feel about me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I definitely used to be very concerned about that. And it yeah. actually, I think, made me far less cool and yeah. less likable because yeah. I was really just terrified of yeah. everybody. So then I would be too quiet and then everyone would assume I was mean yeah and i'm like i'm just scared <laughs> so yeah i think i think yeah what just what other people think of you and really i just care what the people i like yeah think of me yeah uh question number four uh this has been a question i've been asking recently because i want to help people who are listening as well like how do you think about how you choose your friends and the people around you whether it's personal or professional i want to surround myself with people who work really hard are kind and empathetic and that I trust in every way, but mostly that if we ever have a disagreement or miscommunication or argument, we're going to talk about it and deal with it and get through it. So I think I that's, that. I want, I want people around me that make me want to be a better person and put in the same level of energy and effort into our relationship that I'm going to. Love those. Uh, fifth and final question, Taylor. What is, if you could create one law in the world that everyone had to follow, what would it be? Ooh, one law in the world. Yeah. We asked everyone this had to question follow. to every guest ever. Oh my gosh. I want to, I want to know what the best answer you've gotten. Is. I don't think they're all surprising. Like yeah. you, you get everything from something really simple, like be kind to some right. really specific, thoughtful stuff. And so I, I don't, no. I don't think we've had a best answer, but I am currently compiling every answer we've ever had. Yeah. Because I think it'd be fun to like, look at like the breadth of answers. Ooh, one law that everyone had to follow. Or one habit that they had to do every day. One habit that they had yeah. to do every day. I mean, yeah. <laughs> everyone should be journaling, yeah. probably. Yeah. I guess that, maybe. I love that. Yeah. Have you been journaling for a long time? You know what I've noticed? This is going back to the relationship single thing. When I am in a relationship, I'm terrible about journaling. Wow. And then when I'm single, I'm great about it. And it makes a huge difference. Wow. And I remember the last time I got out of a relationship, I had been telling myself, okay, well, I'll, I'll get back to journaling. Yeah, I've been yeah. telling myself that for months. And I thought I hadn't journaled in like two, three months, which is still bad. And I went back into it after my breakup. And I, my last entry was like going on a date with the person I wow. ended up in a relationship with. Wow. Which is, I mean, again, I thought I was like, eh, it's been like 60 days, I'll yeah, get back yeah. to it. And it had just been so long. Well, that has so many lessons in it. Mm -hmm. That is that is such a great answer because I think yeah. we, we leave so many of our best habits when we get into relationships and then wonder yeah. what went wrong. And so, so journaling yeah. and no yelling, I guess. Yeah. Unless you're happy and excited. <laughs> no mean yelling. No mean yelling. I love that. Very deep and profound. To end <laughs> Thank <with>. you. <laughs> uh, Taylor, you are incredible. I think you're cool. Uh, I, I, I would yell in excitement. I did when you first came. <laughs> Uh, no, I am so, so happy that we got to do this. I'm so happy to get to meet you. Uh, for anyone who's been listening or watching at home, make sure you uh, tag Taylor and me on Instagram, on Twitter, on all platforms so that we can see what resonated with you, what connected with you. I love, love, love knowing 
what Taylor said that is going to stay with you, is going to stick with you, that connected with you, that moved you. And of course, I highly recommend that you go and check out Quarter Life Crisis and look at you and follow Taylor on every single platform so that you can stay up to date and so that you don't have to see me send these uh, <laughs> scary videos, everywhere, funny videos and exciting videos, but that you can uh, you do it yourself. But Taylor, you are uh, continue to be my... Uh, the comedian that I follow the most, that I love the most, that I watch the most. And uh, I'm so honored. I'm so, so excited to see what you do next. I'm convinced for, for someone as talented as you and someone as grounded as you and who's doing the work so early that anything's possible. And it's, you know, more and more is going to happen as time goes on. So really, really excited for you. Excited to be uh, an observer and a, and a cheerleader on the journey. Thank so, you so much. Yeah. It was seriously so, so nice to meet you finally in person. And I'm <laughs> obviously such a fan as well. And um, I can't wait to meet your wife as well. So you have to be friends with me now. <laughs> yeah, until she comes back in I like mean. a month. So yeah, yeah, definitely. But thank you, Taylor. Thank, thank you so you. much. And thanks everyone for listening and watching. Uh, make sure you share this with a friend who would love to hear it, would benefit from it. I hope that you pass it on and it changes someone day to day as well so thank you everyone